Welcome to News Across the Galaxy, where we talk all things LA Galaxy. I'm your host, Brian, and joining me right now is Edgar Zuniga. How are you doing, sir? It's a great morning, man. We have a great host, and I'm looking forward to a good time talking to him. And we have a special guest, Gold Cup winner, two-time MLS champion, Open Cup winner, Liga MX Clausura champion, host of Football Americas and the Vamos podcast, Herc Gomez. How you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. You took away an MLS Cup, man. See, most people don't realize that I was with LA in the first MLS Cup. I, I was see? 19 years old. Yeah, most people don't even realize. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I said, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on and being here. It's uh, good to talk to you. But I signed in LA. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I think it was sometime in August or September. And then MLS Cup happened for us in November, I believe, uh, of 2002. Um, so I was like officially on the roster, but I wasn't in that. I didn't start the year with the LA Galaxy. So if you go to the stadium, you know how there's a plaque that uh, that has all the players and their names? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got guys like names you probably won't even remember. And you go down through the list and you won't find my name. But if... Hey. If you look at the, the pictures, I'm celebrating, and then, you know, there, there's the ring as well. So Yeah, yeah. Well, somebody in Wikipedia messed up. No. Yeah, whoever does, my, whoever does my Wikipedia absolutely hates me. Like, that guy or person absolutely hates me. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Edgar, start us off. Got the ring, baby. Today. I know, oh, the rings. Wait, wait, oh, I see the ring. Yeah, 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 we got the rings. That's a, that's a big one you got there. Yeah, this, they came out these last year in uh, celebration of the anniversary. I was yeah. there for that game. They invited me out. It was really cool to see some of those guys. It was. It's been a while. Some of those guys I've not seen for honestly twenty years. So it it was wild. Yeah, it was real nice for me too. Cause uh, like I, I mentioned to you before, I used to have a press pass with the team, so I knew some of the guys on the on that squad. And I ran into Ezra Henderson, and he was like, "Ezra, what's up?" And we took a photo, and then I remembered. Uh, when I first started covering the team, I had taken a photo with him in the same pose. So I, later on in my Instagram, I was able to put them both together and see how much we have changed in the last 20-something years. Yeah. And, man, I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all do. Ezra, I remember Ezra when I was younger, man. Ezra used to fly, too. People don't people see him now, and, and if you wouldn't have known what position Ezra played, you probably would have said he's a goalkeeper, a center back. That dude was an outside back, and he used to fly. Oh yeah, his overlaps were amazing. They were so uh, vital during that time. Galaxy, it was almost it was almost like having a like a like a secret weapon because you you see him there and then all of a sudden this guy is running down the flank on, on the overlaps and he's creating chaos in the defense and a lot of goals came from that. I remember. Yeah, he's a good dude too. Yeah, I learned a lot from Ezra. He's one of those veterans that I took a, a lot away from. So Eric, um, you had a remarkable career on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border, winning championships, and you played with the, uh, with the U.S. in the World Cup. Uh, when you were growing up in Las Vegas, was sports something that was really big in your family? And at which point did you realize that you could go far in soccer? And just to add on top of that, was MLS one of your target destinations when you finally came to that realization? Well, let's see. Um, that's a funny question. So I'd always grown up playing uh, soccer, playing football because of my dad, right? Um, you know, Mexican immigrants, my parents, and you come here to the States. And I grew up in a place called uh, Oxnard, California. And in Oxnard, it's like literally loan for three things. 
it's the the strawberry and the grape fields you know um the the, the farm workers um the prize boxers la colonia gym they've had some ridiculous prize boxers there and el fútbol el parque del sol and and it's this like little mini stadium i mean i was five six seven eight nine years old you know playing there and this place looked like it probably held thousands it's probably like 200 300 capacity but when you're that age it just feels like it's enormous and they would fill it up and they would fill it up and every sunday i'd go watch my dad's team play my dad was a coach and uh it's it's like movie-esque people bet on the games the stadium is full you know they're they're selling concessions and whatnot and the games are going on and it was just always it was just always about my weekends my weekends revolved around that so i always played I'd play Saturday, watch Sundays, and I, you know, same thing. I, I'd play on the side when my dad's team is playing and whatnot. We'd drive up to Santa Barbara, you know, watch the men's league play over there too. Um, and it was just always part of my upbringing. And it wasn't until I started, I guess, getting to the age of being an adolescent um, that I started showing qualities where I was like fast, I had good endurance, you know, uh, for my size, I had a good vertical, things like that. And, you know, being in school in, in the States, you do PE, they teach you to play other sports. And you know, I was I was naturally athletic, so I ran track, I wrestled, um, I played volleyball, you know, I, I was generally pretty athletic. And I think I was nineteen ninety six was the first year of MLS, was my freshman year of high school. First time I've ever seen a professional game. Um, a year or two later, the Kansas City Wizards and the Colorado Rapids came to UNLV soccer field and they played an exhibition game, like a preseason friendly. And if you wore a soccer jersey and you were, you know, under 18 years of age, you'd get in for free. So I got in for free and I got to watch that. And and it was like the first time I realized like, holy shit, this is something tangible here, are, you know, professional players. And, you know, it, it kind of lit a little fire, but it wasn't until, you know, I was one of three Latino kids on this pretty much all white team um, playing club soccer. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for, uh, one of the team parents um, that literally wrote a check, like literally would write a check. So none of the kids uh, would have to pay for fees, would have to pay for tournaments, would have to pay for hotels, et cetera, et cetera. If it wasn't because of him, if it wasn't because of my coach, you know, Frank, who would drive 30, 40 minutes out of his way each way to pick me up, you know, to practice, take me home from practice. If it wasn't because of these tournaments, I would have never gotten that itch. Um, but a lot of my teammates were, my contemporaries were thinking about college. You know, they weren't thinking about playing soccer in college. They were thinking about, I'm going to college to do this the next phase of my life. Um, one of my buddies, uh, who, whose father was the one who wrote the checks, uh, they owned a company named Bombard Electric, you know, and, and they sold that company. They used to do the electrical work for a bunch of casinos like Caesars and Mandalay Bay. They sold it for a lot of money. And, you know, he's transitioning to from high school, go work there. So I started looking at my options and, you know, I'm not getting recruited. It's Southern Nevada. There are no real recruitment processes. I know colleges are talking to me, nothing serious. I started thinking to myself, all right, what is it that I'm going to do? And about the age of 16, 17, um, I started getting really serious with soccer and I realized like, all right, I think I could do this. And, and I think the exact moment I said, I think I could do this was when I started getting paid for it. You know, um, I would get paid to play men's league. Uh, like 16 years of age and I was playing against grownups and I'm, I'm scoring a bunch of goals and, and they're paying me money. They're buying me shoes, paying me money to come and work for them. And I started thinking to myself, like, 
maybe there's something here. And that really lit, you know, the fire, all these combination of, of circumstances of, to me, like wanting to pursue uh, professional football. That's one thing that stood out to me with the whole story is that you wrestled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because I wrestled in high school as well. I, I wrestled in a Downey High School, and then then transitioning from playing soccer and wrestling, it's it does it doesn't really link, right? Um, yeah. Well, well, my brother actually, my brother was the more serious uh, combat fighter. He wrestled, and then he transitioned into uh, jujitsu, and, and from there he parlayed into MMA. Uh, he was a two-time Tiachi Palace uh, champion in his weight class before the UFC had that weight class. And then they absorbed it when he was in his 30s. And by then, he's already out of his prime and whatnot. But he fought a couple of times in, in uh, the UFC. So, you know, that combat sports, I'm sure like a lot of Latino households, especially Mexican households, um, it was football and then boxing. I remember Las Quinielas revolving around boxing, you know, De La Hoya fights, Tyson fights, you know, Cesar, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez fights. Like, I remember those asados around those two events, football and boxing. So that was always um, in and around our, our family. So wrestling for me, I did that for a little bit. And it's something I enjoyed. But the only thing that I ever stayed with was soccer, was football. That, that's amazing. Uh, you said you realized that at one point you were able to make money with with the sport yeah uh, how did you get your first opportunity to actually play in a professional setting where where you're like okay this is it this is my chance who gave you that so, first opportunity and how did you get it so it's a funny story it's not really funny it's kind of tragic but it's it's literally like you look around you have no options mochilazo you know backpack so i i, I through somebody that that there's a contact of a contact. I ended up going to a tryout in Pachuca before Pachuca was Pachuca. This was in 2000, before Pachuca won its first final, before Pachuca became what it is today. I mean, if you see the, the facilities for Pachuca today, they are world class. It is insane. Some of the best facilities in the world, um, nothing is lacking. But back then, when I showed up to this tryout in the third division, it was literally like a warehouse, like a hangar. And on each side of this warehouse, there were like 10 bunk beds on each side. And then there's a little mini cafeteria, mini cafeteria, and then a set of showers. And around that, you had about three soccer fields, one turf field and like two regular fields. That was their soccer complex. That was also where the first division team trained when they weren't in the stadium. So they had the first division team and the third division team. And, you know, I was born here in Los Angeles. I was born in the States. Um, I, all I knew the Mexico was if I go visit TJ or Mexicali, you know, yeah. drive through or whatever it was, that was it. I really had no base of what Mexico actually was. And I get there and it's very much a culture shock. If you've ever been to Pachuca, if you've ever been to Hidalgo, um, there's not too much going. And especially back, you know, in the early 2000s, this is 2000, there wasn't anything. It wasn't developed the way it is now and it's developed the way it is now because of that team and the success. But back then they didn't have that success. So I'm yeah. there and I don't have a Mexican passport. I have my American passport. I do these two weeks of, of trial. It was okay. It wasn't anything great. Um, they said no to me. Thank you for coming, but we are not going to spend a, a foreign spot on you. They can only use two. And I believe they only had like one left. Um, I didn't have my Mexican paper, so I understood. Uh, but it ended up being where 
um, there was a scout from Cruz Azul in one of these kind of exhibition games that I participated in. And he started asking me questions, what my story was, et cetera, et cetera. I explained the situation and he's like, but you can get Mexican citizenship. So like, yeah, eventually I can get, I just got to, you know, do the proper paperwork. Have somebody help me with that. All right. Let's set you up with Cruz Azul. Sets me up in a clubhouse, in a casa club behind La Noria, where the facilities are in Cruz Azul in Xochimilco. And I stay there for four months just training. And uh, in these four months just training, I, I learned a lot. I was living the life. Um, they were paying for my food and board. And all I, I would have to do is find my way to training. And sometimes that training, if I was lucky, would be in La Noria, where I could walk to it. It's two blocks. Other times it's in Xochimilco, this other part of Xochimilco, where if you know Mexico City, it would take me about an hour, 40 minutes between buses and micros and, and walking and other things to get to training. Um, did that for like four months and, and kind of realized like I was getting impatient. I want to play. And during this time, you'd see kids that would come in and out, in and out, in and out. And there was a set of kids, a group that were like moving on to the next. And like, hey, there's there's a place out in Puebla, not too far from here. And they're having a tryout. They're starting a new franchise, uh, Las Aguilas Blancas uh, de Puebla. So I kind of said, all right, I'm going to go with these guys, you know, take my shot and I left. And I did this trial and I did well in this trial. I, I did really well. I showed out. Um, they came up and started asking me questions. I was like, listen, the problem is I don't have my Mexican citizenship. Um, and they're like, no problem. We'll use a foreign spot on you. So I played as a foreigner in Mexico the first time I ever played in second division. Um, there was a, a coach named Luis Garcia. His assistant coach is uh, Ola Ferreira, who's a really famous Mexican goalkeeper. Played in 1986 World Cup. He was with Santos, with Pumas. He's one of Hugo Sanchez's best friends. He was part of Hugo Sanchez's uh, coaching crew, coaching staff when he was with the Mexican national team. And I ended up staying there. The team was based in Puebla, but our games would be played in Tecamachalco, which is like Mexico City, outside of Mexico City. And it was it was an experience, man. I got to play uh, professionally, but I was making 400 pesos mensuales, which is the equivalent today of $20. So I was making that a month. A right? month. Oh my yeah, God. but they would pay for my room and board, and I was a professional. And I still have somewhere around here, I've got like literally the contract with the 200 pesos taped to it. You know, the, the first bill that I made as a professional. Oh, my God. Um, that's that's so amazing. Was, How old were you with yeah. all this was going down? 18 years old. I was Oof. about to turn 19. I was 18 years old. And, and that's how my professional career started. Oh my! From so you started in Cruz Azul, then Aguilas Blancas, and well, then, I never uh, officially played in Cruz Azul. I was but just training there. They trained you there, and then um, yeah, there was a move to Durango, correct? After that, as no, it's in one of those other situations. Same thing, train trying to trying to win a spot in the first day or at Primera with uh, Alacranes de Durango, with the idea of playing first division. That's the goal. Yeah. And the same thing, training there, don't have my papers, but they're working on my papers and they're interested. Um, same thing happened. It's just not happening. Uh, I, I want to play. So I left, you know, and it ended up being uh, me leaving, going back to the States. And that's kind of where I'm back in Vegas, you know, staying with my parents again. Um Sort of similar to the Pueblo situation. Hear about this tryout in USL in San Diego for a D3 team. Go down to San Diego. It was like in the Chula Vista area. Craziest thing I've ever been part of. It was a, uh, 
they had two days of trials and I stayed for one day and it was like over 400, almost 500 people on two fields. And it was really intelligent what they would do. They started out doing fitness drills. I mean, they, they charge you your registration fee, right? I think it was like something like 50 bucks to try out. They charge you your registration fee. You get out there, you got a number and then they do fitness drills. And it's really brilliant because they whittle out kind of like, hey, if you can't pass the fitness drill, sorry, it doesn't matter, you know, what are you gonna do? Mm -hmm. You didn't come prepared. So people started dropping like flies and then they would start doing games. And in these games, my number got called. Uh, I did really well, um, ended up leaving the tryout and I got a phone call a few days later asking me if I wanna go play for, for San Diego. The thing was, I'm 19 years old at this time, trying to make a professional life out of this. And everybody on the team is some some of these guys are mid thirties. They're doctors. They're lawyers. A lot of them are teachers, and they all have regular jobs. They're doing this because this is like cool. We got a team in San Diego. You know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to play. It reminds me of my youth, et cetera, et cetera. I'm trying to make this a career. So I was the only guy on the team. Like I was the youngest guy on the team, but I was also the only guy on the team trying to actually make this a career. And I remember um, one of our first games we went to Pasadena the Rose Bowl to play against the Galaxy and we had the scrimmage with the Galaxy and they just fuck they worked us it was like <laughs> seven to one it was embarrassing uh, Matt Reese was playing on the field he scored two goals on us this guy, this guy was a goalkeeper back in the <laughs> day Reese, and, wow yeah, Matt Reese was good with his feet, but that's another story. I'll get to that later. But I mean, they just worked us. Um, anyways, I did I did well enough. I scored our goal. And Ralph Perez was the assistant coach. Um, comes up to me after the game and starts asking me, like, hey, what's your story? Where are you from? And back then, um, young players in Major League Soccer rookies were like 21, 22, 23 years old. That's how old they were. That's who they were. Uh, and they came out of the collegiate system, you know, the draft. I'm 19 years old. I don't look 19. I probably look 16, maybe 17, you know, a late bloomer physically in that aspect, asking me all types of questions, where I'm from, what my situation was, you know, what I'm doing in San Diego, my intentions, if I ever went to school, et cetera, et cetera, answer everything. And he goes, all right. He goes, uh, we'll keep an eye on you. I have a season with San Diego where we played like 17 games. I scored 17 goals. We got to the playoffs, da, 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 new franchise. Um, and after our season ends, um, I believe it was Chai Bardalis and uh, Gavin Wilkinson. Is it Gavin Wilkinson or Gavin Glinton? Gavin Glinton, I think it was. Yeah, Gavin Glinton. Yeah, ended up uh, getting injured and in Chai pretty seriously with his ACL. So they invited me out. And uh, I think I did like a, a week or two of training and then they just signed me, developmental spot. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy shit. I mean, forget about they were paying me. You know, I think they paid me something like $660 or $860 gross a month, you know, to live in California. Better than and 20. I'm, yeah, <laughs> better than 20. And I'm, I'm, I'm well, that's a lot you of say that, but yeah, you say that, but it goes by quick in Cali with gas and, and, and whatnot and, and living expenses. I mean, I, you know, I, that, that 20 went a long way in Mexico when everything's paid for you. So yeah. <laughs> I, I'm spending, you know, I'm sleeping on my grandmother's floor um, in a, my grandparents in a one bedroom apartment uh, in the outskirts of, of Santa Monica and they have rent control. 
So if they get caught, they could be in trouble. So I'm literally like living out of my car. My closet's in my car. I just spend the night there, you know, and then head out the training. I it 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 was some of the craziest moments in my life because I would do like from Santa Monica to Pasadena. I would take the 10, I would take the five, the two, the 134. I do like an hour 10 to get to Pasadena every morning to train, you know? Uh, but I was loving it. It was just crazy experience. Even though we were training like on a baseball field, the ball diamond uh, back in the day with the Galaxy. I'm with Carlos Ruiz, I'm with Kobe Jones, who I grew up watching. Alexi Lawless is on the team, you know, Kevin Hartman, Ezra Hendrickson. Like, I can't believe that I'm there. I can't believe like this is going on. And I'm 19, you know, just keep your mouth shut, just work hard. And before I know it, MLS Cup and Open Cup, you know, we lost the Open Cup, but we won the MLS Cup. So it's like all these crazy moments kind of coming together. And then I get a ring, you know, for, for like literally just being part of a team it was the most, like, most surreal moment of my life. I remember um, we, um, we spoke to Captain Dan um, a couple years ago. And he was talking about how, like, when they first started doing practices on that field, that there was always broken glass, and it would spend, like, the first part of practice just picking up the glass and making sure the field's nice and ready to go. Um, so when you mentioned that, I, I thought about that. But um, you also, I remember uh, listening to you on your show, um, and you mentioned how the, the U.S. Open Cup was such a catalyst to your career in MLS and beyond. And I remember... Uh, that 2005 uh, U.S. Open Cup final against Dallas, I remember I was planning to attend that match. At the time, I was working for Dove Magazine all the way out in City of Industry. And I remember I turned on my car, and somehow <laughs> I locked my key in the car. And it was running for an entire hour for a trip away. Finally got there, and I got out of my car and started driving out there. And I happened to be walking into the Home Depot Center right as you scored your goal, which turned out to be a game winner. And then by the end of the season, you were a starter in MLS Cup, and your career like really took off, right? Yeah, it's a the whole 2005 is a uh, is that whole year was like one of the most special years of, of my life, just because of everything turned out. So I was waived by the Galaxy in 2004. You know, Siggy had a real talk with me. Um, he didn't see a future for me. Um, you know, as a professional athlete, you know, in first division with the Galaxy. Um, and I left, I went back to San Diego. And at one point I went back to the Gauchos and I did, you know, the season of the Gauchos, uh, still scoring goals. I think I did the same thing like 17 and 17 and, but those seasons are short and especially back then. So it's like, what do I do now? I'm, I'm coaching on the side, um, trying to get, you know, anything I can as far as, uh, money to, to, to live and sustain this, this dream, um, and a bunch of my teammates uh, played indoor soccer as well. Um, so I, I went out to the soccers um, and, and did indoor soccer there and uh, made the team, played. But they had this like shady situation with the owner, the current owner who bought the team like with penny stock and that all tanked the team. Like the San Diego soccer is one of the most historic teams in indoor soccer for that season folded. So, you know, I'm like back in Vegas, um, nothing going on thinking like, what do I do with my life? And, you know, I had mentioned that San Diego team that I was playing with the Gauchos and how a bunch of my teammates were teachers. Um, my plan was literally to get a teacher's credential and, and head into teaching and just like, all right, this is as far as I could take it. I was 21, about to turn 21 at this point. And I thought to myself, all right, this is as far as I could take it, you know, next steps. And I'm literally like, at the time, still working out, still staying in shape. 
and Ralph Perez calls me. I'm like working out at 24 hour fitness. If you guys still remember those yeah. uh, back in the day. <laughs> and, and Ralph Perez hits me up and he's just like, uh, what are you doing? And I explain the situation and whatnot. And he goes, listen, man, Siggy's not here anymore. Um, it's Steve Sampson. Uh, I think you should try to go back to the galaxy. And I was like, I don't know, Ralph. And, and he's like, I think you should do it. Talks me in a, a tryout, a trial with the LA Galaxy again. And I remember like being over it. And, and you know, Ralph extended this lifeline my way. And I'm just like so over it. You know, I, I didn't have a good experience uh, playing with the Galaxy early on. Like I, never, I didn't feel I ever got a chance. My, my professional debut uh, was given to me by Siggy Schmidt. Uh, in 2003 2003 yeah and i was 19 years old and it lasted three minutes in one of these games where we're playing away in kansas city and it's back when they had golden goal so it's overtime i come on as a sub and like i almost i think i touched the ball once and then like they score and that was the end of the game so that was my professional experience you know i debuted as my professional experience and i was just like it didn't happen. I got to play in first division, whatever, you know, it's not for me. And I'm telling Ralph, I don't know. And Ralph's like, just think about it. I think you should do it. And coincidentally, um, my coach from my youth soccer uh, days, Frank Lemon, uh, who lives out here in Manhattan beach. Um, Frank is like one of my best friends. When I was like nine years old and started playing for Frank, Frank was like 21, you know, and he coached like legit 10 of us in club soccer from when we were like nine until you 18, you know, get to where 18. So we grew up with Frank and he was like our older brother, you know? Um, so there was like a good core 10 of us. Like I still have a group chat with these guys today and we're all like, you know, late thirties, you know, 40. And, and he's like, he was that like brother figure for us. And I remember coincidentally, like we're talking at that time and I'm explaining the situation and he's a, he does very well for himself now. He's a partner for PricewaterhouseCoopers in accounting firm. And he was just like, God, I would give everything up right now to, to have like that opportunity. You you got to do this. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know, man. And he's like, dude, what do you got to lose? And I was like, dude, it's the first time it was difficult. Like I was in Santa Monica, this and that. And, and you know, I can't do that again. It, it takes a lot. And he goes, stay with me. You know, he, he had just been married for like a few years and he and his wife were no kids at the time. And was, come stay with us. Um, so he talked me into moving down with him in the South Bay. And for that season, like, it's just working. You know, I did the trial. Uh, the trial went where, well, excuse me. They offered me a senior developmental roster spot. So still a developmental player, not an official contract. You know, one of these, like, you still make no money types of deals. And I remember the important thing was that year they started the reserve league. Um, so what would happen is, like, the Galaxy would play on a Saturday, and the reserves of the Galaxy would play against, let's say the Galaxy play against Salt Lake, they would play the next morning against Salt Lake. At that time, the Home Depot Center. And I started getting games like that. But I was getting games like as a midfielder, right? But then I started scoring goals. So I'm scoring goals in the reserve league. And summer's about to approach. And I'm not getting any minutes. I'm barely making the bench. And as summer approaches... We had uh, guys on the team like uh, on, on big money. And I use quotations because MLS has changed. But, you know, like a Brazilian on our team uh, that wasn't doing well. We had Gold Cup coming up. Um, so guys like Jovan Karofsky, uh would leave. Landon Donovan would leave. Uh, Chris Albright would leave. 
Tyrone Marshall, et cetera. There were guys like, I think Ezra would leave as well. There were guys that would leave for the Gold Cup. I don't know if Ezra was on the team in that then, actually. Um, no, he wasn't. But uh, these guys would leave for Gold Cup. So the, the squad was thin. So I get thrown in in the summer uh, to a game. I come off the bench and I give an assist. Um, and then the next game, I get a little bit more playing time. And then the next game, I start without even knowing and I score a goal. And then from there, it's like, He's throwing me in the rotation. Steve Sands is throwing me in the rotation. And I'm like scoring goals. And it wasn't until a Chivas game that I come off the bench against Chivas 0-0 on a Friday night or Saturday night. And I scored both goals. We won 2-0. That Steve sits me down. And he goes, hey, I'm going to start you on Monday. We had a game against Real Madrid that Monday. It was like, now it's normal to see like Madrid versus the Galaxy, Madrid versus DC. And like it, now this stuff is normal. Back then it wasn't. We started that back then that was this that's ex now you see it and it's very normal back then it wasn't and i started against madrid and i had like one of the games of my life that played like really well and i just never let go of the spot uh, open cup came up and i started scoring goals and and you know led the team in goal scoring in the open cup and one of those goals was the it was the actually it was like a scissor kick i scored in that game you know uh, against uh, fc dallas and it just kind of snowballed into more playing time more opportunities and i just wouldn't let it go um, and it just ended up becoming this like ridiculous year. I think in total that year, I was a developmental player. We won two titles, the U.S. Open Cup and the MLS Cup. And between Reserve League, League, and Open Cup, I scored something like 23, 24 goals. It was, it was something crazy like that. And it just started. Like that that year put me on the map. You know, that year I, I'm getting noticed by the national team. That year, like – was my first fledged year as a professional oh i'm about to cry no <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of those type of stories where people don't give up and then when they finally get that chance and their dream and everything starts starts rolling you're you're on cloud nine uh yeah that must have been it, quite the experience for you yeah you know i don't even think of it like a, a me not giving up i i think of that story of like people helping me you know yeah because I would have given up, you know, yeah, if yeah. it wasn't for if it wasn't for Ralph Perez yeah. twice. I would have given up if it wasn't for my coach Frank Lemon, you know. I would have given up if it wasn't for, you know, having people around me like my grandmother at that time, you know. Um, that's a reality. Uh, I, I was lucky, you know. I had a good support system. I had people that kind of extended those opportunities to me, and yeah, I took advantage of those. But they were those opportunities were were given to me. Those opportunities you know somebody talked me into them so i give a lot of credit to the people around me um and and you know that, that that's important because uh no man is an island no nobody's going to do things by themselves that's not how it works you mentioned ralph perez uh uh i remember when i i used to cover the team he found out that um i was the sports editor at cal city Lays university times and he was he was the first coach for the first uh you know football team soccer team out there so he was really happy. Remember, he approached me in the locker room. He's like, "Hey, uh, you're the sports editor, Castro Lay." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "All right, hey, fellow Eagle." I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Hey, if you need anything, any young, you want to talk to anybody, you let me know." He made me feel really comfortable in the in the dressing room, and I uh, there's a lot of like you said, a lot of people really uh, help you out. I remember at the time, uh, my mentor was Graham Jones, who covered soccer for the LA Times, 
and um, he would give me advice all the time. And then having Ralph also, you know, let me know, hey, you're welcome here. Uh, that, that really meant a lot to me as well. So, yeah, you're right. A lot of people it, help you. It's funny because uh, the moment that uh, Siggy told me, like, uh, you know, and Siggy's, may he rest in peace, Siggy and I had a complicated relationship at first. And then when we, we mended that and we had a great relationship in the end. Um, but when he told me, like, you should start thinking about other avenues, he's doing that because this is what he sees every day, right? It's a, it's a, that's, that's part of the job, you know, um, it's professional sports. Um, so when he tells me I'm not going to be part of the galaxy, but also tells me I should explore different avenues, I left that meeting and I'm thinking to myself, like, fuck, what do I do now? It's Ralph who pulled me aside, like, hey, no, you know, respectfully, Siggy's wrong here. You know, you, you don't give up things like that. Um, it's funny, but, I, you know, Raph was an important figure. And maybe, like, not in a hands-on way, but just in those key moments of kind of keeping me going. Oh, that's amazing. From starting to play at a park to realizing your dream as a professional. And in 2010, you, you left to Puebla. Uh, was one of the first Americans to lead the league in goals and then came back and played in 2015 with Toronto. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, Toronto 2015, Seattle 2016, and then I hung it up. So 2017 ESPN. So you have some type of experience with our current coach, Greg Vanny. Yeah, Is actually Greg Vanny was Greg Vanny was a starting defender for, for Dallas in that Open Cup game that we won in the final. Ooh, did um, you score on him? That, that would have been yeah. cool. <laughs> no, I did. I did. But Greg Vanny actually was my teammate in Colorado Rapids later on in 2007. Um, Greg Vanny is an individual that I like. I really respect. Like When we were players um, in Colorado, this guy would walk around with a clipboard, and, like a notepad and clipboard, and he would have like diagrams, formations. Like He was studying to become a coach back then. He was doing like academy stuff. Um, really bright individual. Uh, and, and Greg Vanny actually took me from Mexico to Toronto. I had an offer for way more money um, to go elsewhere. I had way more offers, and he talked me into taking less money to Toronto. Like Greg Vanny is somebody that, and I'll get to this story in a bit, but he's somebody that I should, I should feel some type of way to in a in a negative way, but I don't. Like he's somebody that I respect because of his work and his work ethic. Now we'll get into what he's doing right now and how that kind of affects perception of him. But Greg's a bright guy. Well, actually, let's get right into it. The current state of the LA Galaxy uh, is, as as fans, it's very disappointing. Correct. Um, it's it recently news. Um, one president, Chris Klein, has been let go of his position How, with you. I know you've been very vocal about the state of LA galaxy, but now that this president is out, how do you feel things could go, go with the LA galaxy and, and with a coach with like Greg Vanny, like you said? Well, first nothing will change in the immediate, right? Because the damage is done. You can't make any moves. Okay. The team is kind of stuck as is unless they get, interleague transfers or unless there's somebody out of contract that maybe comes in 
of worth that could change your your kind of ways. But you still have existing contracts, and due to the mechanisms of Major League Soccer, you can't just offload those. I mean, I, mean, I guess you can. And that's part of the problem with the Galaxy in the recent years. Um, you can go back to the way they've handled things from Omar Gonzalez. Omar Gonzalez was a DP and a very good one for the Galaxy. Uh, in comes in Giovanni Dos Santos. They want him. They want the market of the Mexican follower. They want the market uh, that Giovanni has. Giovanni's a, a good player as well at that moment. But they sacrificed a guy that was like their MVP in MLS Cup, right? They sacrificed a guy that was a defender of the year in Major League Soccer. They sacrificed a, a very exciting player that was like one of the cornerstones of, of that team's success. And they literally told Omar, and I know this because I've had these conversations, like, Omar, my agent at the time tells me, please speak to Omar. Omar has an opportunity to go to Pachuca. They're interested. But the Galaxy tell him the only way he'll stay is if they cut his salary in half. And Omar's out of an age right now where that's, like, not beneficial to Omar, you know. And here comes Pachuca, serious franchise, but he's, like, having his doubts. Can you please talk to him? Omar gives me a call. And I tell him, well, what's the situation? He explains the situation. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Then you really have one choice. Go to Pachuca. Yeah. He goes to Pachuca, makes a ton of money, and that wins championships. And it comes back and it's just as valuable. Like, you know, he ends up being a World Cup player and all that stuff too. So it's so it's one of these situations where, where you're already doing things the wrong way. They, they literally... Pushed a player of that caliber out. You could say whatever you want about Omar today, but back then, I was as good as it got with defenders in Major League Soccer. He's a very good defender. And comes in Giovanni Dos Santos. And he did the same thing with Giovanni Dos Santos. They purchased his contract, $6.5 million. They ate that up, right? Same thing has happened to so many players in the Galaxy where they bad contracts and they eat it up. So I could say here, Douglas Costa, bad contract, eat it up, but then you're just doing the same exact things. So now you're in the situation where you have these terrible contracts. It's a terribly constructed team. Um, the moment that they signed Chicharito Hernandez, uh, I came out and I said, I remember the exact year it was 2019, uh, 20, it was 2019 turning 20. And I remember saying, Slatan in two seasons scored 52 goals. You can give Chicharito three or four seasons. He's not going to score those 52 goals. And it's not because Chicharito isn't a good player. He doesn't have the players around him. Zlatan can create something out of nothing. He can bully play. Like You can play route one football with him. He would bully people because he's physically just so superior and crafty in the box. And he'd get his stuff. He'd get his goals. Javier is 100% dependent on service. You didn't have that type of team. I think you had Katai was, still, was just signed to the team at that point. Um, you had Sasha Kleshton. Um, you had, uh, I'm trying to think of the other French guy that, that they used to play. Um, you had, you had a bunch of pieces that didn't fit to the style of Chicharito Hernandez. You had Christian Pavon. Um, it didn't fit. It just didn't fit. He has no service. So you keep doing these things and you're paying for it because in major league soccer, you can't just offload all these contracts, right? Uh, under Chris Klein. Since 2014, since he's been president, the LA Galaxy haven't been back to the final. Haven't been back to a MLS Cup. The winningest franchise in the league's history has not been back. Forget about playoffs because that's not the bar in my eyes. 
I don't even want to talk about the amount of playoffs they missed. They've not been back to MLS Cup. They've not been a prominent organization on or off the field for quite some time. So you make all these mistakes, and then you try to cheat to get better. And then you, you're even bad at cheating. You get caught <laughs> as well. So you get sanctioned. And during these sanctions, AEG and, and CEO Dan Beckerman gives you an extension. So you're bad at your job, and you get rewarded for it. So I think it's just... It's a, it's a lot of things coming to a head, uh, things boiling over. And it was the first piece that had to fall, the first domino that has to fall for the Galaxy to get better. Will it get better in the immediate? No. Um, in that time, I think Greg Vanny has tried to handle things best he could. But he's been the face of that because it wasn't Chris Klein out there. So while he's been the face of that frustration – well, you're going to get noticed with that frustration. So his stock is taking a dip. Is this team better than the record they have? I think so. I think they got some good pieces. I like the midfield. I like Brugman. I like Delgado. I like Ricky Pooch. Uh, Ricky's not free of criticism. There are moments Ricky does not appear. There are moments Ricky hides. There are moments Ricky could be better. But when he is good, he is very good. You've got to get players on the field that could help you win. And these ga this Galaxy team doesn't have enough of those players. Chicharito Hernandez isn't finished in my eyes. He's finished on his team, but he's not finished in my eyes. He could be a very good goal scorer with the right pieces around him, but he doesn't have the right pieces around him. So this is the Galaxy today. They're better than their record, but what, what, are, what are we saying with that? That they should be 500? Even then, that's, that's not what the Galaxy should be. I have a question since... Um... Obviously, you know, you're an analyst now, but you've also, you know, you played. Um, this whole situation, the whole clan out, the boycott, the protests, the noise that we've been hearing, does this affect you as a player on the field and the the kind of discussions and goings on that in the dressing room? You know, it, yes. Easy answer is yes, right? Because you're not, it's so funny when there is no player on earth um, especially here at this Major League Soccer level. I'm sure there are players like the Cristianos, the Messis, the Salatans um, that that won't be bothered to open up their social media, right? Uh, won't be bothered to turn on the telly. Won't be bothered to do this. Like, they say, got to bulletproof your mind, so to speak. You know, you have to stay above that. But for the rest, they're mortals. They're human. And they're going to open up their social media. They're going to read what's being sent to them. They're not going to search their names. They're going to be read what's being sent to them. They're going to be interested in what the going-ons of, of their team. Um, so you won't be immune to this. You're going to know exactly what's going on. And I think a reflection of that is when you saw the incident between the uh, Angel City Brigade and, and some of the players after that game. Like, players aren't stupid. They know what's going on. Um, if not, they wouldn't have taken the time to sit there and, and – be berated by fans. They wouldn't have taken the time to sit there and like, what's going on? What, what are your concerns? They know exactly what's going on. They know exactly who the fans think are at fault. They know exactly, you know, the frustrations that are being vented by, by a lot of people out there. So people pay attention. The fans, the, excuse me, the players pay attention to these things. Yeah, they do. And we, we were so frustrated. Uh, I know um, it's been really tough on the boycotters, especially because we haven't been attending to games. Uh, well, I haven't. Uh, these guys have been going to games, but it 
I just wanted to be part of that boycott because I, to me, it felt like the message was the right one. And when you're not happy with your front office, you can't just keep going and giving them your money and still have them be relevant. Because like you said, he cheated and he still got the extension. Like where any anywhere else, if I'm not doing my job, I get fired immediately. Right. So it's I'm glad everything's <laughs> cleared out in the air. And then um, now we're in a better state, I guess. But from here. Where do you think the LA Galaxy should move to next? Do you think Will Koontz now in that office could get the LA Galaxy back to its glory days? Well, I think there needs to be some transparency. Like, Will Koontz is very good at working the books, right? Getting the team under the salary cap, a, a roster construction. That doesn't mean he picks the players. That doesn't mean he identifies the players. That doesn't mean he says, we should go and trade for this player. Um I think that means there's X player worth X amount and he figures out how to get him into the galaxy books. Right. So don't, don't go immediately thinking like Will Koontz is the, it's going to be the solution. Like what is Will Koontz going to do? What is Jovan Karofsky doing? You know, why should he be immune to anything that's going on with Chris Klein? He been part of that as well. Like what exactly is Greg Vanny's role outside of, the field, the sporting side, you know, what, what are these roles? How could they be defined? How could be transparent? Um, I saw a press release from Dan Beckerman. I've not seen Dan Beckerman, right? So once you get clarity on those things, you can move forward till then you're in a wait and see kind of pattern. I think the galaxy dodged a bullet with LAFC not winning, you know, the, the CONCACAF champions league, cause then the pressure would have been really on, you know, um, 2000, 1920 when when i was talking about chicharito uh, i had said that the LA, at the lafc was overtaking the galaxy in the city and people got really upset they got really upset uh but since then look at everything lafc's done you know and, and now people are, are kind of opening their eyes but trust me i i would go i stopped going to galaxy games when the galaxy would invite me i went out to an alumni night one time and, and got booed and i was just like you know like, all right <laughs> Cool. You know, it's part of the job. I understand my, my role in this is part of the job. I, I don't feel any type of way for to LAFC. And I think it's where people get confused. Like I didn't play against LAFC. They're not my rivals. Right. Yeah. You know, I, when I played with the galaxy, the rival was Chivas USA. It was San Jose. When I played with Seattle, the rivals were, was Portland. I don't have any type of way to, to LAFC. I went to the game last night and the fans are nothing but respectful to me. 99% of the fans are nothing but respectful to me. They don't feel any type of way for me either. A random isolated, you support the galaxy, you know, yeah. a drunk fan saying, you know, used to play for the galaxy and me kind of laughing like, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> but, but I really think they dodged a bullet with, with LAFC not winning. Cause then the pressure would have been really on then, then things would have gotten a little bit more ugly. Um, but you need to come back to where you once were. The, the galaxy wasn't, a prominent franchise. It was the prominent franchise and it's nowhere near right now. It's not been, um, you know, that there's only one other club I could, I could say is, is, is there like that. And that's DC United. And they're kind of in similar boats. Um, there are teams around the league right now that see the LA galaxy as a destination um, city wise, 
you know, they don't see it as the club that it once was. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned DC United. Uh, we just spoke to Dave Johnson like uh, about two or three weeks ago, and he was explaining uh, all the difficulties that that franchise went through from being, you know, the, the cream of the cream in MLS to being practically irrelevant and uh, looking for a home. And he says now they finally found a home. Now they're starting to really work on building that brand up with Rooney in charge. And it's not going to happen overnight, but at least they're headed in the right direction. And he also mentioned how important it was for him that LA Galaxy do well because he felt like when LAC came into the league, they took some of the shine away from LA Galaxy. And LA Galaxy was such an important club. So uh, hopefully now that, you know, uh, Klein is no longer there and there seems to be like a sense of optimism. So I wanted to know from you, Herc, uh, do you have a message for Galaxy fans um, after going through this whole mess? You know, something you could let them know like, hey, things are going to get better or buckle down, guys, you know. <laughs> I don't know because it's Major League Soccer. And I think it's one of the great things like your situation can change very easily in Major League Soccer. You know, they they, they pride themselves on parity. Um, so you could be a very good franchise the next season. Um, I guess my message is uh, you enacted change, right? Um, you shouldn't feel proud about somebody losing their job. But this is professional sports. It comes with the territory. You should be proud that you were part of a movement and that people cared, that the team cared enough. They, they heard enough to enact this change. Um, and you should always demand things of your team in a respectful way. And I think it's always been respectful um, to an extent, right? You're going to have your your situations. But I think my message is feel proud of, of, of the movement. Feel proud of, of the change. Feel proud of what you accomplished because it, it's made other fans around the league kind of open up, you know? Um, I think Major League Soccer is kind of out of that infancy age uh, where not everybody in Major League Soccer roots for Major League Soccer. And I say that looking at LAFC last night, if LAFC would have won, there would have been sets of fans that would have been like, whatever, you know, I don't want them to win in major league soccer. It wasn't like back in the day where everybody's pulling for Salt Lake to be Monterrey, you know, that's, that's not the situation. So you've outgrown that. I think this is part of that growing process uh, is demanding things from your club in a respectful way. I'm not trying to say be the ultras, be the Curva Sur uh, of uh, Milan. You know, I'm not trying to say that, but, I think this is a, a good message that, that you demand things of your club and you expect them to be somewhere. I'm pretty sure that the next time you show up to the to the dig, you're going to get a reception like The Rock. You can look around and be like, finally, Herc has come back <laughs> to the LA Galaxy. The fans are going to go that. <laughs> well, Herc, we thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been quite the experience for me actually uh but thank you thank you so much for joining us for this uh little pod of us knuckleheads <laughs> thank you <laughs> i appreciate you guys having me man i had fun <laughs>